Amen. Grateful you guys are here this morning and also those that are worshiping with us at home. Grateful to have you here to worship today. If you have your Bibles with you, you uh, need to open those to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 19 through 24 today as we are continuing to walk through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I've told you uh, in the weeks past that what Jesus is doing is he's gathered those disciples on that hillside and uh, as those disciples are gathered there on that hillside, he is teaching them. He's preparing them for the world that they are about to enter. They are about to begin in the ministry of Jesus following him as he is sharing the, this gospel message for the reason that he has come is to seek the sinners, right, and save the lost. And, and he recognizes that as they begin to go on this journey that it's going to be a difficult journey. They, they are doing what's never been done before. They are teaching a gospel that's never been told before. And so he's going through a series of teachings to help them understand how they are to live in an unchristian world. And we've done the very same thing as we've walked through this passage of Scripture. We've been encouraged of how we ought to live in the days that we live in. Jesus wants his disciples to be distinct from the rest of the world. He wants them to live differently than the rest of the world lives Today, in this passage of Scripture, Matthew 6, verse 19 through 24, it may be the most countercultural idea that we've looked at so far. Jesus is going to teach his disciples on the proper usages of their possessions, of their finances, of their money. And as Jesus does so, he's going to remind them and he remind us as well how important it is for us to maintain a kingdom perspective. Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 19 says, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. How great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Money. Let's pray together. God, we ask this morning as we're walking through, Lord, this Sermon on the Mount that you teach us, God, today Jesus' perspective on our lives in an unchristian place when it comes to our possessions, our finances, our money. God, help us to see this morning the lesson that Christ has for us, Lord. And God, not only that, as we, as we ask ourselves difficult questions about the way that we see the world, God, and Lord, the things that we invest in, we pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us in this place today. God, we are grateful, Lord, that Jesus teaches us systematically, Lord, through the troubles of life, even, Lord, when it comes to things like our, our money. So, God, help us to see Jesus' teachings today for his disciples. And, Lord, as, as disciples today, God, let us apply these principles in our life. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for you, and we ask that you continue to work among us. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want us just to follow this passage of Scripture this morning to see what Jesus teaches us about our treasures and where we place our treasures. The first thing that we need to see is that Jesus reminds us that kingdom investments are 
eternal. This is what Jesus means when he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy or where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where those things will not happen to the treasures that you invest in. Jesus clearly is teaching us that if we're going to invest in anything in this life, that we should invest in things that are eternal. We should invest in things that are going to last forever. Jesus does this by giving us three examples. First of all, he talks about the moth. Now, Jesus is speaking into a culture where fabric fabric was a telling material of how wealthy you were or how prominent you were depending on the color of the fabric that you might wear or even the type of fabric that it was determined your prominence inside of society and so what Jesus is saying is is if you are dependent upon a fabric a certain type or a certain color to distinguish you among all others be reminded that a moth will destroy that fabric and we understand a moth is but a small little insect and, and a moth will destroy only a small little piece of that fabric but we've all had pieces of clothing probably that we've hung in our closet and then we've, we've pulled that, that, that garment out and we've put it over our shoulders maybe and, and we've realized that a moth has eaten inside of that which we had paid and invested in in the same way as Jesus is speaking to these people about their fabrics, we understand he would speak to us about our fabrics as well. One little hole, one little moth can destroy the value of everything in this life. One little moth will take away your prominence. It will take away your prosperity. But he says not only the moth, the second example he gives us is, is rust. Now, we understand what rust is. Rust here, the idea that's given actually in the language is a, a breaking down of material. That's what rust does. It, it breaks down the material that it's, it is on. It's corrosive. And so the, the material in, in Jesus' day that he would have been speaking about would have been their very coinage. Now, in Jesus' day, coins were made from, from metals that would rust, from metals that would decay, from metals that would break down. And Jesus is saying those metals that you hold in your pocket or in your pouch that you carry around eventually it will be worthless what you're investing in what you're trying to get these coins this material money eventually will fade away it is not going to last forever it will not remain it will not maintain its worth even we understand what that means when it comes to our finances what once was worth something no longer is worth anything our coins do this throughout time what once we could buy with a quarter or a dollar or a five dollar bill you can no longer buy with that much money money becomes less valuable over time Jesus helps us to see that what you're investing in today your desire to scrape and rake up as much money as you can for treasures on this earth one day will be worth absolutely nothing. It will break down. It will rust. It will lose its value. The moth will destroy your prominence. The, the rust will destroy your material value. And then he says, and whatever is left, the thief will take. 
And whatever is left, the thief can take from you. There is still this possibility in Jesus' mind that those things that you hold dear to you, those material things that you hold close to you can be taken from you just as quickly as you obtain them. There is still this possibility that once what once held value for you will no longer hold value. Jesus is reminding these disciples that if they are going to lay up treasures in the earth if they are going to lay up temporary treasures they need to be reminded that one day it will be worth nothing but kingdom investments those things that we invest for the kingdom of the lord verse 20 says but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy or where thieves do not break in because he knows there that those things will never lose their value. Kingdom investments are eternal. That's the first point Jesus makes for us. Secondly, I want you to see that kingdom investments display your heart. This is verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus not, not only desires for his disciples to see that these improper investments will lead to no lasting reward, but, but he wants us also to see that that which we invest displays the place where we have put our trust. Our investments put in full view our heart, or our investments, we might say, put in full view the thing that we love and that we value the most. Jesus I think is making it as clear as possibly it could be made. If, if our heart is focused on physical, material things, if our heart is turned toward only physical and material possessions, it is there where we have put our trust. This is an issue for Jesus. Jesus has an issue with us placing our hope and us placing our love, us placing our heart on anything but himself. We know this because the Old Testament tells us that the expectation of God for his people, the expectation of Yahweh for his people was that they love him with all of their heart to give them all that they are. And Jesus, when he was asked by that attorney, what is the greatest of all the commandments? Jesus, if you, could, if you could tell us the one thing we ought to pursue above all other things, Jesus looks to him in Matthew 22, and he says, you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart. You see, Jesus does not want our hearts divided. As a matter of fact, Jesus would look to a man whose heart is in material possessions, and he would call him an idol worshiper. See, Jesus wants all of our hearts. He wants everything that we are. And so he tells these disciples that are gathered there, if you're going to live as a Christian in an unchristian world, you cannot place your heart in temporary and material things because the moth will destroy, the rust will take away, and what's left, the thief will take from you. Instead, we are to be investing in the kingdom. Your heart cannot be divided. And where your heart is, we know that that's where you're putting your treasure. The next thing that we see that Jesus does is kind of odd. As a matter of fact, if you'll read this, let's read verse 21 and 22. Verse 21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. As I read that this week and I tried to understand what was happening here, I thought, Jesus has chased a rabbit. 
Because that doesn't make any sense with what's going on. Jesus is talking about your heart and, and where you have placed your heart and, and the treasures that you keep, whether they are temporary treasures or they are eternal treasures. And now all of a sudden he's, he's jumped subjects on us and he's talking about our eye. What in the world is Jesus helping us to understand here? And I think what Jesus is doing is he wants to remind us that the way we see the world matters to him. Or if I put it in, in, your, in my outline for you to write down is, is that kingdom eyes change your life. You say, why talk about the eye in the middle of a discussion on possessions and treasure? Why talk about the eye? Well, Jesus intentionally does this, obviously, and he does so because he wants to remind us the way that we see our possessions matter. The way you see the world matters. The way that we see the things that God has blessed us with, this matters to him. You see, it's like, it's like looking through the world with a filter. The filter through which you view the world determines how you see the world. So if you look at life through the wrong filter, then you will misinterpret your reality and you will waste your life and you will waste your treasures, your resources. But if, you're, if your eye is good, or here, if your eye is bad, he says, your whole body will be full of darkness. You see, if your perspective of life and your resources is wrong, your life will have no light and will ultimately only lead to darkness and no reward on this earth or in heaven. But if your eye is healthy, Jesus says, then your whole body will be full of light. So if on the other hand you see life through the proper lens, then your life will reflect light and there will be no darkness in you. How you see your treasures... And how you use them, either for eternal or temporary means, will be determined by how you view the world, how you view those resources, and how you use them in your life. It has everything to do with your eyesight, you see? How you see those things that Christ has given to you will determine how you use them. If you see them as belonging only to God in the first place, you will use them for His kingdom and for His glory. But if you see them as something you have earned or something you have done, then you will use them for temporary means and your life will be found only in darkness and without any reward. See, your children are going to fight over something. Your children are going to fight over what you've left. It's only going to cause darkness in your life and in their life. Use it for the glory of kingdom, they'll have nothing to fight over. Everything will be given to the Lord and it will last forever and ever. The appropriate view is the view that sees all that we have and everything we've been given in light of an eternal and kingdom view. It's see that to view our things that we've been given only for temporary pleasure and temporary uses, it's like looking into the darkness. It's looking with the wrong filter and it leads us to only emptiness and dark, No purpose for the kingdom impact at all. See, Jesus wants these disciples, if they're going to live as Christians in an unchristian world, he knows they've got to see everything differently than the world sees them. They've got to see even their resources different than the world sees resources. And all of us, we, we have to choose how we're going to see the things that God has given to us. 
We've got to choose the way that we're going to see the things that God has given to us. Will we see them with a kingdom mindset or with kingdom eyes or will we see them with temporary eyes? If we begin to see things from God's perspective, it will change our life. It would change what we, what we invest in as a people of God. It would change what we invest in as a family. It will change everything about us. Kingdom eyes change your life. And the last point that I think is important for us to see because Jesus makes it is that kingdom eyes determine your God. Or we might say kingdom eyes determine who or what you will worship. How you see the world would determine where you place your heart. You see, Jesus concludes this section with a question for us. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll have one and love the, hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, two, you cannot serve God and money or mammon in some scriptures. So what Jesus is doing is he's leading us to a question. The question is very simply, who is your master? Who or what do you serve? Do you serve the Lord or do you serve your money? Do you serve the Lord or do you serve your finances? Do you serve your Lord or do you serve your resources? You see, it seems to me that Jesus is doing just what we said he was going to do. He is making us distinct from the world. He's saying to us, you've got to be single-minded. We are an either-or people. There is no room for us to serve God and anything else. And Jesus wants his disciples to understand that. There is no room for you to serve anything else and follow after me. As a matter of fact, Jesus' disciples understood this clearly. Jesus, as he's calling his disciples to follow him, what does he instruct them to do? Drop your nets and come after me. Some ask a question, but, but Jesus, I need, to go, I need to go bury my father first. And Jesus says, nope, come follow me. You see, Jesus has this expectation for us, not that we're an either-or or an and people, but that we are only going to serve him. We have a single purpose, a single mind, and it is to serve the kingdom and to serve his, king, his, his, his will. It is not only our money, but it's everything that we possess. They become a God to us, and, and Jesus is saying there is no room for that. May it never be so for us as believers. May it never be so for our church as well. As I was praying and preparing this week, I came across a quote that, that, that really is significant for us to hear in this moment. As we, as a church, are in the midst of a place we've never been before. We're, we're in the midst of a, a pandemic we've never experienced before. I was reminded of something that we as a church need to be careful about and this is the quote. It says, many perspective, many perceptive, excuse me, many perceptive observers have sensed that the greatest danger to Western Christianity is not, as it is sometimes alleged, prevailing ideologies such as Marxism, Islam, the New Age movement, or humanism, but rather the all-pervasive materialism of our affluent culture. You see, what this guy says is the greatest enemy against the church 
is not those things that we can point out in other people like Marxism, Islam, those New Age thoughts, and also humanism, but rather he says the greatest danger is the all-pervasive materialism of our affluent culture. You see, we're somewhere we've never been before as a church. The church in America is somewhere that they have never been before. Most churches are seeing some at low as 30% of their pre-COVID attendance on Sunday mornings. Others are seeing greater than that. We, of course, are greater than that. But some are only saying that they've only seen so far 30% of those pre-COVID return to physical presence of worship. People aren't being discipled in small groups. People aren't being invested in on a weekly basis by a teacher. We aren't pouring into the hearts of those little nursery preschoolers or children. Our students are not in Sunday school. They're not giving a worldview that we want them to enter into the world with. The American church is in a place that it's never been before. Barna says only one or excuse me, one out of three pre-COVID church members will never return to church. We've never been here before. We're in a place like no other time. All of that that I just told you, you need to understand, is not a positive trait for the church. But money is good. You see, for most healthy congregations surveyed by Barna, if they were healthy pre-COVID like ours, ours was, money is as good now or even better than it was a year ago. Now, you try to wrap your mind around that. Attendance is terrible. People aren't returning to church. Barna says one in three will never be back, but yet money is good. We may have the best year we've ever had financially in the midst of a pandemic. And see, I want us, take this as a pastoral warning, I want us to be careful because it may be that our materials and our finances are lulling us to sleep. Just when we think everything is comfortable and everything is good, it is there that we grow complacent as a congregation and as people of God, and we forget that God has not called us to financial comfort. Instead, he's called us to the Great Commission. He's not called us to be a church that has all material things. He's called us to a church that's doing the work that we've been given, maturing Christians. You see... We can never look at a financial situation, a good financial situation, a comfortable financial situation, and substitute it for authentic worship of our Lord or for maturing Christians or a congregation. We can't substitute a good financial situation for the call to fulfill the Great Commission. You see, what happens is, is that our finances become the thing that we focus on more than the great commission that we've been given as a church. Maybe Satan uses finances to lull us to sleep. If we don't need God, we don't seek God. If we're not desperate for him, we don't seek him at all. We cannot allow good finances and resources to keep us from accomplishing the mission to which we have been called. 
This is my fear, not for us necessarily, but for the American church in general, that we may grow comfortable with just being financially healthy. All the while, disciples of Christ are not gathering for worship corporately, are not involved in small group discipleship. All the while, we miss a generation of kids and students who have no one pouring into them week in and week out. You see, may our hearts and our eyes not see a temporary financial blessing as the end to our kingdom work. It can't be. A good financial situation can't be the end to our kingdom work. If so, then we have chosen money over God. And our heart is in our temporary circumstances. And our heart is not in heaven. See, Jesus is telling his disciples, the call to be a disciple is to make disciples. The call to be a disciple is not financial affluence. We have to remember that our kingdom investments will last forever. Our kingdom investments are a reflection of our heart, the heart of our Lord, the things that He desires more than anything else. And we have to see our own lives, our church, and our community with the eyes of light, a healthy eye, seeing those who deserve the gospel and to be told the gospel, not just storing up resources for ourselves. How do we apply what Jesus has just told us, as difficult as it is, into our lives? Well, I think there are three questions we should ask ourselves. First of all, we need to ask ourselves, where is my treasure? Where is my treasure? Is it in the temporary or is it in the eternal? Second, what is my vision? Is my vision healthy or is my vision only leading to darkness? Finally, what is my master? Jesus says we can only serve God or money. What is my master? Whom am I serving? These three questions, easy questions, four words apiece, simple. What is my treasure? Where is my treasure? What is my vision? What is my master? Man, how they change everything about our lives how they change everything that we do, the motivation behind every step that we take as a people of God. God, be with us, Lord. God, these things are hard things. Lord, a, a sermon on money makes the congregation nervous and the preacher nervous. But God, it's a conversation you had with those disciples before you put them out into the world Lord you encourage them to place their heart and their treasure in heaven eternal God you, you challenge them to have a proper perspective on the way that they see the stuff that they have you challenge them God to recognize that there is no room for idol worship in your people God, so it brings us to ask ourselves these same questions. Where is my treasure? Lord, what is my vision? And who is my master? Help us, God, as we stand now and we sing.
to ask ourselves those three questions, but God, then also let your Holy Spirit lead us, Lord, to decisions that we need to make as a result of your conviction. We pray and ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.